Let's pray together before we start. My, our prayer this morning is taken from a few scriptures. Uh, First Chronicles 29 and Psalm 90, 2 Peter 1 and 1 Thessalonians. Blessed are you, O Lord, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over, above all. Everything that we have is from you. Everything we see, everything we don't see, is there anything we have that we have not been given? We thank you for life, for strength, everything that we have in possessions and giftings, for the people that you have put us with, and the circumstances that you have led us to. Thank you for giving us everything today that we need for life and for godliness. Oh God, satisfy us this morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. God, forgive us for getting wrapped up with and at times consumed with thoughts and emotions in response to everything we are experiencing and going through, rather than running to you in our sin, looking to you in trust, and rather than loving you with everything in us. Forgive us for being distracted by what feels important, rather than loving you and loving our neighbor, our brothers and sisters, as ourselves. God, thank you for your hand on us, bringing us to salvation, working in us today your sanctification and changing our hearts and directing them to you, God. We thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. Amen. Well, this morning we are reading Genesis 31. We're going to start verse 1 to 16. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, The spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, The striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. 
Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of God said to me in the dream, Jacob, and I said, Here I am. And he said, Lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken away from our father belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. God, thank you for your word. I ask that you would give us understanding this morning. Good morning. We are in Genesis, and we're in the middle of Jacob's story, and we're coming towards the end of it. He has, he's been cheated multiple times by his father-in-law. He's ended up being married to two sisters because he tricked him, and he ended up married to the wrong sister, the one he was not in love with, and then later worked for another seven years for a second wife, the one he was in love with, Rachel. And in the previous passages, God has blessed Jacob with a large family, um, but at, up until this point, he has now worked uh, for 20 years for Laban, and Laban would continue trying to essentially turn Jacob into a slave. Just the exact wrong time for my throat to get clogged here. Excuse me. All of the various scenes in Genesis 31, the entire chapter, are, are tightly bound together to form a final summary of Jacob's life. And this is actually an incredibly important chapter to the meta-story of the Bible. It is here that the Israelites will be separated uh, from Laban's family. And so we're just looking at the first 16 verses this morning. Uh, but there are themes that will keep coming back up throughout. One thing, though, which we should understand explicitly at this point, is that Jacob's account continues to echo the stories of those who belonged to God before him. And it will foreshadow the stories of those who will follow him. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are very different personalities from each other, but there are aspects of their experience which are clearly connected, and intentionally so, by the author of Genesis. And so Isaac's experiences with God's effective call on his life echoes that of Abraham's, and Jacob experiences the same things of God's call, faithfulness, and command. And then all three of these men, the, the Israel's patriarchs, reflect God's original call and command to Adam, and then to Noah after him. 
And so God is doing something new in creating a people for himself here, but it is also something very old. Something very much in line with God's purpose from the very beginning. So Jacob's experience in relationship with God is very much like his father's and his grandfather's before him, and it also clearly foreshadows God's relationship with his people in the future, most clearly the Exodus events. Like Jacob, the Israelites in Egypt would be exploited by the wicked. Their blessed labor would serve the advantage of their oppressors for generations. And despite this abuse, like Jacob, they would multiply into a large family. And finally, God would call them out to go back to the land of their fathers. And then in his victory over the gods of Egypt, God would plunder them, giving their abundance to Israel as they left, just as here he plunders Laban and his gods and gives his prosperity to Jacob. The point of all this is that Jacob is a unique character, but Hebrews 13.8, God is the same yesterday and today and forever. The story of Jacob is the common story of God's people. So we don't read the story of Jacob today because he is such a great role model for our lives. We read his story because it is our story. It's our story as the church. If we are in Christ, offsprings of Abraham by faith, these are the stories of our people. This is our common history, the account of our family. So God's faithfulness to Jacob is not only a clear example of who God is, but it also causes us to remember that God has been faithful to us through his faithfulness to Jacob. And so the author draws clear connections to those who went before and to those who would follow so that God's people would see the pattern of God's work and faithfulness to his people. This is our story. And so in the Jacob account, until now, things have proceeded as if naturally or even by accident. So much of what has happened in his life until now seems to have just happened on its own or as a result of Jacob or his wives or his uncle Laban. But now in Genesis 31, things are made explicit. The narrative makes sure we don't miss the the whole point of the Jacob story. Jacob's life is kept and valued by God. God has kept his promise to Jacob and blessed him through and despite his behavior And the behavior of those around him all serves to bless Jacob. And so even as Laban is trying to oppress Jacob and becomes very wealthy oppressing Jacob, this all serves to bless Jacob in the end because God will take the wealth that has been extorted from him and and given back to Jacob. And so God's turning all things for good to those who are called according to his purpose. So Jacob's 20 years of trial and the obvious presence of God to prosper him then during these these last years of work, work a transformation in him. And this is what we saw with Abraham and Isaac and now Jacob. Two things happen throughout their lives. They go through trials of many kinds and God is consistently faithful to them. And this produces 
faithfulness in them. They become those who are faithful to God because God's, uh, the allowance of things, suffering to take place, and God's perfect faithfulness to them. And so for the first time in the record of his life, Jacob now emerges as a man of public faith, showing godly leadership in his home as he acts promptly in obedience to God's command to return to the promised land. And so in this chapter, Jacob will bear witness, first to his wives, and then later to Laban's whole family, the truth of God's presence and provision in his life. God has allowed Jacob to go through these things, trials of various kinds, which have tested his faith. And through it all, God has invariably blessed him and kept him to the point that it has become obvious to everyone involved. Like his father and grandfather before him, Jacob experiences the love of God in all of its discipline and blessing. And and now we begin to see the resulting transformation of character it results in. So turn with me, Genesis 31. We'll read the first three verses again. Now Jacob heard that the sons of Laban were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's, and from what was our father's, he has gained all this wealth. And Jacob saw that Laban did not regard him with favor as before. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you. And so in previous passages we learned that for 14 years, Laban greatly prospered through Jacob's service as a shepherd. But in their most recent contract, though Laban cheated him time and again, God began to give this wealth to Jacob. Now, if you weren't here with us last week to catch you up, Jacob made an agreement with Laban that all of the goats that were striped, spotted, or mottled would become Jacob's. They were the rarities. They were not the normal offspring of goats in this area, and black sheep would become Jacob's. And so Laban immediately, after making this agreement, removed all of those uh, striped, spotted, and mottled from the flock so that the flock would produce far fewer of these sorts of animals, thereby cheating Jacob. And then, as we hear now in the passage today, he then changes the agreement over and over again. It's like, oh, there's too many striped goats. Let's, you know what? I know we agreed that you were going to get all the striped goats, but there's too many of those. So we're going to change the agreement. Now it's going to be spotted goats. And then as, as time progresses, God blesses Jacob further, and there's too many spotted goats. Now, we, you know, this deal, we have to change the, the, the parameters of this deal. There's too many spotted goats. Now you're just going to get the mottled ones. You know, and so God... God keeps on blessing Jacob, despite the fact that Laban keeps trying to cheat him. And so through this, God begins to give the wealth of Laban to Jacob. And so Laban's sons accuse Jacob because they realize that Jacob's increase is not in a vacuum. When Jacob has more, it is directly related to the fact that their father now has less. But their accusation is a lie. Though Laban has cheated Jacob, the Lord plunders their father on Jacob's behalf. And Laban's attitude towards Jacob has changed as well. Verse 2. 
It has begun to reflect the Philistines' envy of Isaac in Genesis 26.14, which turned them against him. We learned there, as, as we see now, that those who belong to the world will gladly accept increase at the expense of others, but when the tables are turned, watch out. Laban will not passively accept disadvantage, and disaster is threatening Jacob. The, the Hebrew here in verse 2 literally reads, Laban's face was not with him, which means he had lost Laban's favor. But it reads, Laban's face was not with him, which is a threatening posture, and it serves as a counterpoint to God's promise to Jacob and the reminder here, I will be with you. So this is the gospel here in Genesis 31, and it is exciting. The powerful around Jacob, Laban, he no longer has his favor. His face is not with him. And God reminds him, but I am with you. The favor of this world is fickle. If we have seen anything in recent days... If we've seen anything from the advent of social media and the new moral order of secular religion, it is how quickly people can fall from grace. You could be the poster child for worldly virtue at one point, and the very next day you could be canceled with no room for repentance. There's many examples of this. We live in an age of fear, Now, don't read any political statement into what I'm saying because I'm going to address our real-life situation here. But we live in an age of fear. Some are afraid of a virus. Some are afraid of financial ruin. Some are afraid of those who don't obediently follow the new moral order as dictated to us. Some are afraid of the new government control and permanent loss of fundamental freedoms. But one of the most prevalent fears today is the loss of regard. We are so afraid of what people will think of us. And we know it is so fickle. And so with this fear, we're going to lose the regard of others. And at the same time, we know it's just incredibly fickle. You could be doing 90% of the same thing as someone else and absolutely lose their regard. One person who's keeping 90% of the public health orders but is still seeing that loved unvaccinated family member or hasn't yet taken their five-year-old for the shot or didn't quarantine for the full 10 days the 15th time this year they had a slight headache or a sore throat. That person is offended with others who are in the exact same situation, keeping 90% of the orders in slightly different fashion. Perhaps they don't believe masks or vaccines are a viable or helpful solution. And then it goes both ways, each offending the other when they're doing what they think is right. And then there are those who lose respect and are offended with people for following orders that we think are foolish. This is the way of the world. The fickle favor that is lost in a moment. It is in response to this loss of Laban's favor that God's reminder comes in a timely fashion to Jacob, I will be with you. 
This is God's promise and reminder to us this morning, church. I will be with you. The favor of God is not fickle. His love is faithful. A permanent fixture in the lives of his own. Jacob's behavior, let me tell you, he would have lost my favor by now. And now he's lost the favor of the people around him, and especially the leader of the people around him, the patriarch of of this family. And God reminds him, I am with you. My favor is with you. It's in direct response to this, this literal Hebrew, the face of Laban was not with him, that God says, I am with you. It's when Jacob has lost the favor of the powerful around him that God reminds him, just as he reminds Israel, as he brought them into a land surrounded by their enemies, Deuteronomy 31.6, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Because the perfect love of God and the favor of God are not reliant on anything other than his own choosing, he can keep the promise that he will not leave or forsake. Because of this, 1 John 4.18, there is no fear in love. Because perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, but whoever, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So the more we know the love of God, the more we will live without fear of losing favor. This kind of love casts out fear. There's no fear of punishment or reprisal. There's no fear of losing favor because God is with us. He will not leave or forsake. Those in Christ need not fear his punishment. His favor is secure. That and the favor of all God's people, the entire family of faith, is eternally secure. First John continues, 4.19, we love because he first loved us. Now, this is not only a powerful statement about God's choosing that we do not love him until we have experienced this perfect, never-stopping, unconditional love. This is also a powerful statement about the kind of love that will follow in God's people. When we have experienced this perfect love of God, this unconditional, never-stopping love, we will love him in return, and we begin to love each other imperfectly, but growing in the same kind of unconditional love he has called us to. And so at the moment of fear, when we know that the favor of this world is so fickle, God reminds Jacob, and he reminds us this morning in a timely fashion, I am with you. 
I will not leave you or forsake you. Church, the knowledge of this favor of God that I cannot unearn because I did not earn it in the first place gives such a joy and a peace and a hope. I've walked in the fear, as have many of you, of what people would think about me, how people would respond to me. And while I do care about causing offense and try not to hurt people's feelings, we are in this state of fear, and God wants to release us from it by saying to us, I am with you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. And with God comes the favor of his people, although it takes time sometimes. We will have the community we long for, the intimacy we long for as promised to us in the gospel. With this promise of his protective presence, God commands Jacob and his family to return to the land of promise repeating the acts of faith of Abraham and foreshadowing the exodus of Israel from Egypt. Verse 4, it continues, Then Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah into the field where his flock was and said to them, I see that your father does not regard me with favor as he did before, but the God of my father has been with me. You know that I have served your father with all my strength, yet your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times. But God did not permit him to harm me. If he said, the spotted shall be your wages, then all the flock bore spotted. And if he said, the striped shall be your wages, then all the flock bore striped. Thus God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. In the breeding season of the flock, I lifted up my eyes and saw in a dream that the goats that mated with the flock were striped, spotted, and mottled. Then the angel of the Lord, or of God said to me in the dream, Jacob... And I said, here I am. And he said, lift up your eyes and see. All the goats that mate with the flock are striped, spotted, spotted and mottled, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land, and return to the land of your kindred. This speech is an incredibly important moment in the character of Jacob. Although Jacob is God's chosen, who has been blessed by God, we haven't seen very good character out of Jacob up until this point. But the transformation that takes place through the trials and through God's faithfulness that takes place in Abraham and then in Isaac and then in Jacob and then in Israel and now in you and me, this work of sanctification that God allows and creates through trial and his faithfulness is taking place in Jacob. And now Jacob, for the first time, openly proclaims his faith and gives all credit to God for his blessing. Now, if you were with us last chapter, Jacob has tried to gain the blessing from Laban through various means. And in the last chapter, Jacob had abdicated his role as a father and a husband. He had thrown himself into his work of shepherding his sheep and goats, but his family was without guidance. Now, here, he has finally taken spiritual leadership. He testifies to God's provision in the past, and he guides his family to trust in God's provision for the future. 
And, and this is what ultimately leads to obedience for the family. Parents, husbands, fathers, mothers, this is an example. Finally, in all these chapters where we have Jacob, who's not such a good guy, he testifies to God's faithfulness in the past, guides the family to trust in God's faithfulness for the future. Only now does Jacob share with his wives how he obtained so many animals. He did not obtain Laban's livestock wealth by deception or with magic sticks. If this had been the case, then Laban's daughters would have been sympathetic to his case because Jacob would have cheated him. But instead, God was the only effective factor. Behind the scenes is God's providence. Though Jacob sought to win out against Laban, it is God who has triumphed over his enemy. And so there's, there's two fathers present in this speech. One is repugnant, Laban, who is, is cheating and oppressing and deceiving and selling into slavery. The other is inviting. And throughout this chapter, Father God will call his people out of one family and into another. The Labans of this world try to take advantage, seeking to oppress, cheat, deceive, and sell. But God is the champion of his children, those adopted by faith through Abraham. Psalm 118, verse 6 and 7 says, When, or sorry, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as a helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. God has taken sides in this passage. And the psalmist rejoices in the fact that God has taken his side. So Jacob's speech begins, continues, and ends with God's victories over Laban. Laban is against him, but God is with him. Laban has left him. Laban cheated him, but God did not allow him harm. Verse 7, Laban changed wages, but God changed the flocks. God has gone to war against Laban on Jacob's behalf, plundering him in the process. Rachel and Leah use the exact same verb in verse 16 to describe God taking the wealth of Laban as the author uses in Exodus 12, 36, when Israel plundered the Egyptians. This is the exact same word used here. It's a language of war. God has won the victory and taken the spoils of war for his people. Verse 14, Then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, Is there any portion or inheritance left to us in our father's house? Are we not regarded by him as foreigners? For he has sold us, and he has indeed devoured our money. All the wealth that God has taken, plundered from our father, belongs to us and to our children. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do. Rather than to be treated as family, to be accepted and welcomed and blessed, they were treated as foreigners and exploited by their father. 
He sold them to Jacob. Now, normally a bride price would be for the protection and benefit of the bride, but Laban has devoured it, that is, used up the proceeds of Jacob's valuable labor. The 14 years of Jacob's wages should have been, at least in part, saved up and given to Laban's daughters when they had born Jacob children. And then their father has continued to steal from his own daughters by cheating their husband of his wages during the following six years. And so there's this repugnant father, this, this father who does not treat his family as family. And so they saw it as divine justice that God had stripped the wealth of their father and given it to their husband. And then knowing that it was God's doing, they too resolved to obey God's call. So we have in this chapter the first time that Jacob acts with character. He testifies to the goodness of God. That's it. He's a man of faith. Not because he's so good at doing awesome things. He's pretty much been a loser all the way up till now. But because God has been so faithful to him, through every trial, he now just says, this is what happened to me. And this is faith. Faith is knowing the faithfulness of our God and responding as though it's true. So if we have the first time that Jacob acts with character, now we have the first time that his wives act in the same way. This is the first time Jacob's wives follow his lead. And in this action, they emerge as part of a new family, adopted by God, defined as wives of Jacob and not as daughters of Laban. And they're shown to be daughters of a good father and members of his covenant people. God has effectively called his chosen ones to him. He emerges here as the one who has ordered all the events of their lives. God has taken sides and turned all things towards the fulfillment of his overriding promise to Abraham's offspring. Everything else, their behavior, the behavior of those around them, the behavior of the wicked around them, everything else is pressed into the service of this plan to get Jacob to the right place with well-being and prosperity, as God had promised him. This is the primary theological idea of this passage, and it's expressed uh, most clearly in verse 7. We're going to end looking at this. Your father has cheated me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not permit him to harm me. The weapons of this world are lies and deceit. You and I will never find solid footing when we continue to reorientate ourselves to the new normal and the ever-changing nature of subjective truth. Laban continued changing the terms of the agreement to suit his plan. His purposes in keeping Jacob oppressed. Maybe you can relate. Perhaps you have experienced something similar from the pathological of this world who lie a thousand times and then expect you to believe them when next they speak. But rather than to fear, rather than to get upset, rather than to radicalize, 
We must realize, church, that this is nothing new, only perhaps more obvious. The world has always lied about peace and security and where they can be found. So if it's in our face right now, don't worry. It's always been there. From commercials and children's movies to government and economists, the world has a false message about where salvation comes from. And each time we fall for it, we buy the product or we believe the construct, we follow the lie, the finish line moves, the metric changes, the message develops. But we have this certain hope, Hebrews 6.19, a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. God will not permit this shifting world to harm his chosen ones. That's it. Though Laban changed the arrangement ten times, God did not allow it to harm Jacob, but brought it all for his good. Romans 8.31 If God is for us, who can be against us? This is the message of hope this morning, church. Will you stand with me? I have a, a reading in response from Psalm 18. We're going to read a 1 to 9 and 14 to 24. And I believe they have your part boldened. I hope this works for us. I'll start us out. Your, your first line is, His steadfast love endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love. Let the house of Aaron say, Let those who fear the Lord say, Out of my distress I called on the Lord. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. The Lord is on my side as my helper. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. The Lord is my strength and my song. Verse 14. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but he has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the wonders of your love, the joy that we can have in you, and the steadfast love that you give to us that endures forever. You're never failing, never stopping, unconditional love on those you have chosen. And Lord, we thank you that when we have you on our side, no matter what shifting ground this world seems to be, we have a solid rock on which to stand, a sure hope, a steadfast anchor for the soul. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. The Lord is my helper. What can man do to me? Instill this upon our hearts, I pray. Transform us as we come to believe the truth that you have taught. Lord, we believe, help our unbelief this morning. Amen.